Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5 as we return to what really is the pinnacle of biblical teaching on Christian marriage. God designed marriage, of course, as the original most basic institution of all civilization, the one which was to bring the greatest benefit and blessing to mankind. And while men and women fell in their or fell from their original state of perfection, it never marred the purpose nor the potential of Christian marriage, or the potential of marriage in general, we might say. And so you find in 1 Peter chapter 3 that Peter still refers to marriage as the grace of life. The crowning institution, the most sacred and blessed relationship that a person can experience in this world. And yet we know the reality is that very few people are experiencing that. Very few people are realizing and tasting of the, the great blessings that the Lord intended for this institution and for their relationship with their spouse. Even unbelievers who sometimes would put into practice the principles of God find a measure of blessing. We know that's true. Uh, we have often heard it said that uh, the Lord's Word is the handbook on marriage and and even if you don't have faith, if you apply the principles, you'll find a blessing. But for us as believers, for us who are redeemed by Christ, marriage has an even deeper potential. It is, an, it, it is a, a level of intimacy, a level of communion with our spouse that's available to us that isn't even available to the general populace of the world that the Lord has given the grace of marriage to. The sad reality is that even Christians, though, even those who have been redeemed and have all the potential in the world for so much bliss in marriage, aren't realizing it, aren't achieving it, aren't walking in the way the Lord had designed for marriage. Well, if you remember in Ephesians chapter 5, this is really His, his intent for us. His intent is that we walk as believers in a spirit-filled way and reap all the benefits that come from that. Benefits that began, you remember, with a, a heart of joy, singing to the Lord, come with thankfulness in every kind of situation, come with mutual submissiveness to whatever institution the Lord has placed us in and under, the various authorities in our life. All of this the result of a spirit-filled life, he talks about in verse 18 of chapter 5. And so as we come and consider what Paul has to say about marriage, he's really saying it to us as believers, to us who've been redeemed, and to us who are being filled by the Spirit daily so that we can experience the full joys, the full, the full manifestations, the deepest levels of, uh, of benefit, the deepest levels of communion, the deepest levels of satisfaction that the Lord intended in every relationship we have, most particularly in our marriage. And so as Paul begins to work out this spirit-filled life in chapter 5, he works it out first of all with wives in verse 22, in husbands in verse 25, in children in chapter 6 verse 1, and then ultimately in slaves, masters, we might say employees and employers in chapter 6 verse 5. You remember... He sort of began this whole discussion of a spirit-filled life and a spirit-filled message in verse, excuse me, a marriage in verse 22 through 24 as he, he addressed wives, wives who are to live in glad submission to their husbands out of obedience to the Lord. 
This is the manifestation of their spirit-filled walk. Paul dedicates those three verses, 41 words, to the meaning of a spirit-filled life for wives. But by far, the weight of what he has to say here, the bulk of what he has to say about a spirit-filled marriage is directed toward husbands. He uses nearly three times the space, 116 words, many more verses here, to address the responsibility that husbands have in making their marriage, making their home a godly, fulfilling, and blessed place. All that simply reflects the weight of burden that lies with a husband in every marriage. The weight of responsibility, the primary influence, that they are to have over the the ultimate climate of love and spirituality within their home. It's not to say that wives have no influence. It's not to say that they could not on one hand tear down their home with the work of their hands, as Proverbs says, or on the other hand have a sanctifying influence even with an unbelieving husband, as 1 Corinthians 7 says. But in God's ultimate design for marriage, He has assign the primary responsibility for the spiritual and loving climate in a home to husbands. And so typically in marriage, as the husband goes, so goes the marriage. Now if Paul's assigned this kind of responsibility and laid this kind of weight on a husband's shoulders, what is the primary thing that he's asking husbands to do to bring about this kind of environment in their home? Well, if you wanted to sum it up in one word, if you wanted to just take everything that he has to say about husbands here and say in one word what you need to do in order to to bring about that kind of uh, uh, bliss, to bring about that kind of level of intimacy, to bring about that kind of environment of love and everything, if you wanted to find one word, it would be love. Six times, he says, in the remaining part of this chapter, he uses the word love in relationship to a husband's responsibility. It's interesting, he doesn't use the word lead, he doesn't use the word protect, he doesn't use the word provide, though that is where many men often put their focus when it comes to their responsibility to their families. They believe if they're going out and just earning an honest day's wage every day, if they believe if they're keeping a roof over the head and paying all the bills and having somewhat of a successful career, they think that somehow they're doing what uh, what is really required of them. And yet as you turn to the Scripture, what you find is the dominant theme, the dominant demand on husbands is that they would love their wives. This is exactly what Paul calls for in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And this is the overarching responsibility. This is the chief verb that Paul uses to direct the responsibility of the husbands. It's not to say your wife isn't to love. She's certainly commanded to do that in Titus 2 and other places. It's not to say that this isn't a reciprocal thing. But it doesn't fall to her as the primary one charged with maintaining this environment of love and affection in the home. Paul says this is for husbands. And in order to to 
fill our minds with an understanding of this, he gives us several descriptors, beginning in verse 25 and going down through verse 32, several descriptors of this love as we move through the passage. And we're going to talk about those over the next couple of weeks. I think we can identify at least eight. Eight distinguishing characteristics of spirit-filled love that husbands ought to be walking in. Eight Eight characteristics of spirit-filled love that we can identify here for spirit-filled husbands. The first one, this first distinguishing characteristic we could say is that a husband's love must be according to the love of Christ. A husband's love must be according to the love of Christ. That is the, that's the big one. That is the dominant idea and that is what Paul opens up with here. A husband's love ought to be According to the love of Christ. Now you could take everything else he says in this passage, and really you could even set it aside, and if you could grab hold of that one concept, everything else would fall into place. And this is the one dominant thing that as husbands needs to be your meditation, needs to be your focus, needs to be where you set your mind day in and day out as you think about your responsibility and your relationship to your wife. A meditation, an understanding, a love for the love of Christ. It needs to be always in your consideration. It needs to be the thing that you reflect on when you wake up in the morning. It needs to be the thing that you meditate on as you go to bed at night. The love of Christ. He becomes the model for you. It no longer matters whether or not you came from a loving home. It no no longer matters whether or not you had the, the best example, the worst example, and the parents who were before you. It no longer matters whether or not you have a wife who's easy to love or hard to love. It no longer matters. The only thing that matters is your view and your perspective on the love of Christ. So right from the start, we can say this, that if you do not understand the love of Christ very deeply, you are immediately limited in how much you can grow in your love for your wife. You're limited in that. You will never reach the full potential, if you will. You'll never reach the full depth of love that God intended for marriages unless you reach a depth in your understanding of Christ. Or we could say it this way, that a sound marriage is built on a sound Christology. A sound marriage is built on a sound Christology. A husband will never excel in loving his wife until he excels in understanding the gospel. The gospel of love from the Savior. This is the key. This is where we find our deepest blessing, our deepest fulfillment that God intends for every marriage by daily molding ourselves to our understanding of the love of Christ and the depth that we have seen it increasingly as we go in our Christian life. It should be shaping and transforming the way that we love our wives. Now, obviously, to say that is to say a lot, right? Because... A study of the love of Christ is, ex- is, a, is as exhaustive as the Bible itself. I mean, it literally goes from the early pages of the book of Genesis all the way through the very end to the book of Revelation. And on nearly every, in er- nearly every chapter, every page of the Bible, there is some, 
Something pointing to Christ and to His love and to His plan and His redemption and all that the Bible has to say about Him. So this is a, this is a topic that we would never be able to fully exhaust, but just to say it puts us on the right track, right? A husband's love must be according to the love of Christ. Although it's very exhaustive, I think we should point out at least a few things that help us as husbands when we think about the love of Christ. A few immediate observations that we could just notate for ourselves. First is this. We could say, for example, that the love of Christ is an initiating love. It's an initiating love. It takes the initiative in loving, in other words. It's what the Bible says about the love of Christ. We love, 1 John 4, 19, we love because He first loved us. So His love was the first. In the relationship that we have towards Christ, He was the first one to love. In other words, Christ didn't sit back and wait for us to show some interest in Him. He didn't sit back and wait for us to make the first move. Even though we were the ones who had sinned, even though we were the ones who had offended Him, even though we were the ones who had violated His will, He didn't sit back and wait for us to come and ask for forgiveness first before He loved. In fact, the Bible is very, very clear that while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated His love toward us and that He died for us. His love is an initiating love. His love made the first move toward us before we ever made a move toward Him. And a Spirit-filled husband will realize that he has that same responsibility within his home and with his marriage toward his wife that he needs to have a love that makes the first move. It makes the first move to serve. It makes the first move to encourage. It makes the first move to give. It makes the first move to reconcile when there's been an offense or sin. We could add to that that the love of Christ is a forgiving love. This as well needs to be at the really core of our understanding of Christ-like love that He is a forgiving Redeemer. Colossians 3.13, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We can say this about Christ in His love, that He doesn't hold grudges, that He doesn't exact retribution for every offense and every slight. And in like like manner, husbands who are spirit-filled husbands, husbands who who are desirous of a fulfilling marriage, Husbands who want to have the benefit, all the benefit that God intends for every marriage, are not husbands who hold grudges. They are husbands, and according to Colossians 3, if they have a complaint against their wife, they forgive, as Christ has forgiven them. In other words, out of constant amazement, In constant wonder at Christ's patience with you and His love towards you and His forgiveness towards you, you are eager to show that same sort of forgiveness towards your spouse. 
eager to overlook faults, eager to reconcile. We could say thirdly, that Christ-like love is a gentle love. It's a gentle love. This is Jesus' wonderful invitation in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are labor uh, and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Isaiah 42, you know, it says a bruised reed he will not break. He's a gentle lover in that sense. And it's the same kind of love that we're to have toward our wives. If we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we're going to have to understand that that's exactly what we're called to do. We're to love them gently. In fact, if you have your Bibles, look at Colossians chapter 3, the parallel passage here. Colossians chapter 3, where Paul is also expounding on Christian marriage, and this is the way he puts it there. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is exactly what he says is the implication in Christian marriage. That if you're going to be a husband, you're going to have to put on Christ-like love, and putting on Christ-like love is putting on gentle love. Love that isn't harsh. This word here is an interesting word. It's only used twice, two other places in the New Testament, both times referring to eating something that produces bitterness in the stomach. In other words, there's a sense, there's a sort of a nauseating sense about this word, a sour stomach. And what God is saying here, I think, in Colossians, is He's saying, look, don't begin to let your... Uh, let your wife or the things that she does sour your appetite toward her. Don't begin to resent her as someone that doesn't satisfy your desires. You had some selfish appetite. She's failed to meet it and therefore the sweetness that you'd hoped for from her has now turned to a bitterness in your belly. A sour taste, if you want to say, in your mouth towards your wife. And so you begin to respond to her no longer gently, no longer tenderly, no longer lovingly, but either with resentment and anger or with disinterest. Something she, something she failed to do to meet some probably idolatrous desire, maybe even a wholesome desire that you had, but wasn't met nevertheless. And so your appetite toward her has soured. As I said, it might be a legitimate thing. Maybe it was just a desire for honor that you received from her. Maybe it was a desire for her to work together with you in the raising of your children. Maybe it was a desire for intimacy. Maybe it was a desire for affection. Maybe it was a desire for communication. But whatever it was, she didn't meet it. And now you have soured toward her. You've become embittered. This is the way the New American Standard translates that in Colossians 3. Lupriolo in his book, The Complete Husband, gives a list of Many of the manifestations of this. It often takes place in a husband's life. He mentions frequent arguments or an unwillingness to resolve conflict anymore. Outburst of anger. Raising your voice. 
withdrawing from your wife, spending longer hours at work or away from home just in order to avoid her, diminishing affection or intimacy, mocking, mean-spirited joking, sarcasm, acts of vengeance, condescending communication, speaking to her as though she were a child, judgmental attitude, intolerance, impatience, distrust, domineering and tyrannical attitudes toward her, or a lack of social interaction with others as a couple. None of that really reflects Christ. None of that really reflects the love of Christ. Thankfully, with our Savior and with our Lord, when we stumble and fail, when He sees all of our faults, when He sees all of our sins, when He sees all of our imperfections, thankfully, He doesn't do any of that with us. He doesn't cast us off. He doesn't turn a deaf ear to us. He doesn't begin to demean us. He doesn't treat us harshly in any of those ways. Thankfully, He never becomes embittered against us. That's not the love of Christ. And what Paul's teaching us here in the book of Ephesians, look, if you're going to have the kind of marriage, the kind of fulfillment and satisfaction in your marriage that God intends, you're going to have to walk in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit means that you're going to be dominated by the love of Christ. So husbands have to love with the love of Christ, meaning it's an initiating love, a forgiving love, a gentle love. And back in Ephesians 5, the main focus of what Paul's calling for here as he speaks about the love of Christ is that it's a sacrificial love. A husband... To love his wife in this way absolutely must lay himself down. This is Paul's admonition. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself for her. This is a chief attribute of Christ-like love. The giving of himself as he laid himself down on the cross. He laid laid aside his life on the cross for our redemption. And he teaches us, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for others. So this will be the greatest manifestation of your love for your wife. Not necessarily physically laying down your life, but the daily decisions that you make as a husband to give up your rights, to give up your priorities, to give up your interests, to give up your life for the interest and benefit of your wife. The daily choice of dying to yourself. Setting aside your pursuits to prioritize the pursuit of your wife and her affections. This is simply simply the choice that you make of meeting her desire above your desire. Putting her goals above your goals. Her plans above your plans. Her interest above your interest. The scripture's teaching this is the surest path to satisfaction. This is the truest path to intimacy. This is the this is the, the, the most direct path to fulfillment in your relationship. This is so opposite what you're gonna hear from the world. I was listening to the radio this week and someone was making reference about how he got married. He had he had some verbal agreement with his wife that he could play just as much golf after he got married as he played before. That's, that's the way people think about marriage in the world, though. 
I want to go into this and I want, what I want to do is I want to cordon off and I want to guard my rights, my self-interest, my pursuits, and that's going to be how I'm going to find fulfillment in my marriage. As much of it serving me as possible. Well, the Bible would give you just the opposite. That the path to fulfillment, the path to blessing, the path to the, the, the intimacy that the Lord intended, all of that, the path to that is dying to yourself. This is what's going to create the kind of home, the kind of rich and full and satisfying experience that every person desires in the richest and fullest and most satisfying relationship that any person could ever have. You do all that, you begin to reap the fruit of all God intended for marriage in its deepest sense. Well, we could add to this a second distinguishing characteristic of this spirit-filled love. And really just sort of staying right where we are in verse 25, we could say a husband's love must be an act of the will. A husband's love must be an act of the will. All that simply from the observation that this love is commanded. It's an imperative here. He doesn't speak about love here as some sort of a, a thing that just sort of carries you along in a wave of emotion. There's no sense here of falling into love. No, no sense of... of uh, Passive force that comes over you and must carry you along every day in these affections towards your wife. Here, very clearly, the concept is that you choose to obey a command. We could say then that there's no condition here that your wife needs to meet. There's no circumstance that has to be in place. There's no action that you respond to. It's simply the daily choice that you make. Not dissimilar to the way that we talked about wives submitting to their husbands. Not because their husbands are always worthy of that kind of respect and honor, but they do it as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Or because of the Lord. As an act of obedience to Him. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as an act of obedience to the Lord. It's not to say that, that your love towards your wife is to become some, some sort of mechanical thing. No wife desires that. But to say that you get your emotions on the right side of your choices. John MacArthur says it certainly intended a husband to admire and to be attracted to his wife's beauty and winsomeness and kindness and gentleness and every other positive quality and virtue. But such things, although they bring great blessing and enjoyment, they are not the bond of marriage. If every appealing characteristic, if every virtue of his wife disappears, a husband is still under just as great an obligation to love her. If anything, he's under greater obligation because her need for the healing and restorative power of his selfless love is greater. That's the kind of love Christ has for his church. And there's therefore the kind of love every Christian husband is to have for his wife, end quote. This, this love that, that Paul's calling for then is a matter of your will, not your emotion. In fact, sometimes it will run contrary to your emotion. 
Sometimes it will, it will have to overcome any kind, of, any kind of resentment, any kind of anger, any kind of hurt feelings. So that we can say if there's a failure to love, it's not a failure of your feelings. It's a failure of your will. I think we've all had the unfortunate experience of, healing, of hearing someone in the breakdown of their marriage to say, you know, I just don't love her anymore. What they're really saying there, or what they're really doing is making a statement not about their emotions, but about their will. I don't want to love her anymore. Because it's very clear from this passage, very clear from the Scripture, that this love that God demands of husbands is a daily choice. A daily choice to set aside your pursuits to pursue your wife. A daily choice to set aside your interest for the interest of your wife. And when there's disappointment in your relationship or disappointment with your wife, it is very clearly your responsibility at that point to rebuild that affection by making the right choices. Thirdly, third distinguishing characteristic of the Spirit-filled love, we could say a husband's love must be in spite of his wife's imperfections. In spite of his wife's imperfections. This is, again, just extrapolating from the love of Christ that God demands for us, but needs to be said that Christ doesn't love you because of your perfections. He didn't set His love on you because somehow you were worthy of it. And He doesn't maintain His love because you maintain a worthiness before Him. In fact, it's very much in spite of all your faults and failures. So all that Paul's calling for here when he talks about you loving your wife has nothing to do with whether or not she is worthy of it at any particular moment or not. In fact, Scripture is explicit that God demonstrates His love by sacrificing for us at the point when we're most unworthy. Look with me for a second over at Romans chapter 5. This is very clearly laid out there. As Paul elaborates on the love of Christ in that chapter. First, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Paul says, God shows or God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Very clear. That that love was demonstrated to us even while we were still in our sin and our imperfection. But you notice right before that, Paul had just noted the typical, or, or we might say the tendency of most people. He says, one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. In other words, we're willing to make sacrifices. Some of us are willing to make sacrifices if the person we're sacrificing for, we deem worthy of it. And this is the pattern that so many husbands fall into. Well, I would do that if she would do this. If she would just start doing this, or if she would stop doing this, then I would step forward and I would start doing such and such. Well, I want to tell you, that may be love in your mind, but that's not Christ-like love. 
That's not Christ-like love. His love is initiating love. His love is in spite of whatever perfections, imperfections you may have. And that is not a love that will carry you to any kind of satisfaction and fulfillment in your marriage. In fact, look at verse 6 right there in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. In fact, at the moment when your wife is the weakest is the time when she needs your love the most. At the moment when she is is gravitating the most into sin is the time when you need to make the greatest sacrifices and need to set aside your interest more than any, any other time. So the weaknesses, the sinful tendencies in your, in your wife ought to be a wake-up call to you, to your responsibility and the love that you ought to be showing. And by the way, in verse 5 of that chapter, it says that God has already poured out His love in our hearts, right? So you have the resources. You already have the kind of love that's necessary to be obedient to this task and to show your wife that kind of that kind of love listen if you're a husband who loves your wife only because of what she does for you you don't love as god loves if you're a husband who loves your wife only because of her physical attractiveness her pleasing temperament you don't love as christ loves if you're a husband who loves your wife only because of what she gives you might be loving like the world but you're not loving as christ loves This love that's demanded of you is a love that calls for you to give up yourself. Your opinions, your preferences, your comfort, your desires. Laying it all aside to pursue not only the desires and interests of your wife, but even her sanctification. This is why so many marriages fall apart because they're built on faulty foundations of love. They're built on object-oriented love. Whether it's physical attractiveness, whether it's companionship, whether it's personality, whether it's prestige. All of those things they built their love upon and guess what happens over time? Those objects, whatever was desirable in those objects, fade. Eventually someone comes along who's wittier, who seems to have a better personality, who might, might be more attractive, and you have set yourself up. You have, a, you have a built-in formula for disappointment. Well, none of that was ever God's intent for marriage. None of that was ever His intent for the kind of love that a husband shows to his wife. The kind of love that you're to have is being transformed daily. Transformed daily. By your meditation, your reflection on the love of Christ. Completely renewing you, completely renewing your love towards your wife continually. As you look into the face of the gospel day by day. You know, some of this love that we talk about today some of this bliss, some of this fulfillment, some of this satisfaction might just seem out of reach. For some of you, things have gotten so bad. 
You might be thinking, you might be thinking that the greatest problem in your life right now is your marriage. The greatest problem in your life right now is your wife and all the problems that have been going on in your home. You might be thinking that that is really the thing that you need to address. You might need to go to some counseling. You might need to maybe even get out of the home. But the Bible gives a different perspective, a different truth. That truth is this, that the love of Christ can transform you. And through the love of Christ, you can transform your home. Your problem isn't that you have an unloving wife. The problem is that you haven't understood the love of Christ. Perhaps that's because you've always thought of God as some sort of distant being. You've thought of God as somebody out there who maybe is disinterested at you or possibly even angry with you. Well, some of that is certainly true. God has, God has given us His law. We've broken it. We've violated it. That stirred His wrath against us. But at the same time, God has demonstrated love. And that even while you're still a sinner, even while you've turned your back against God, you've strayed for Him, you've not sought Him out, even while all that is true, He's demonstrated His love in that He sent a Savior. He gave Himself for the redemption of all those who trust in Him. He offers you not only salvation, He offers you love. It's a love that will transform you. And when it transforms you, it will transform your marriage. It will transform your home. If you don't know that love, if you don't know that Savior, if you've never had the love of Christ poured out in your heart, I want to encourage you when we finish in just a moment, come find me. I'd love to take a few moments with you this morning, open up the Scripture to you, and show you how the love of Christ has been manifest even towards you and how it can change your life. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful this morning for the love of Christ. So thankful that He deals with us with grace and mercy and tenderness. Lord, to the extent that we have gotten our eyes off of that, to the extent that it is no longer transforming us, and particularly for the husbands who are here among us, or to the extent that they have forgotten that transformative love, I pray that you would reestablish it in all of our hearts and minds. I pray that you would be reorienting our life, our focus, our worship, our homes, according to the love of Christ once again. And Lord, as you do that, I pray that you would be magnified and glorified, that the Word of God would be demonstrated even in the way that we love our spouses so that all might redound to your glory and honor and praise in us and through us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.